Krieg. Thank you. I need to uh, start just before we get going here. I want to start with just a couple of uh, just one real disclaimer. I've been asked, this is my 10th year in ministry, and I get asked, one of the main questions that I get asked is, what is my favorite part of my job? I get asked my least favorite part. I'm not going to share that with you. It may hurt somebody's feelings here this morning. But I get asked a lot, what's my favorite part of my job? And the answer to that is getting to do this, is getting to open up God's word, stand on the stage and talk about how much I love Jesus and hopefully allow that to stir someone else's affection in the room for Jesus. And I realized last night that it has been 217 days since the last time I got to preach to a room with people inside of it. So I'm a little bit excited today. In fact, I want to look directly at you, Satan, if you're here and tell you it's going to take a little bit more than a rainstorm for you to back me down this morning. So I am, uh, I am fired up to be here. I am fired up to start this brand new series. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it to John chapter 14. Hold a finger there and then go over to Colossians chapter 1. We'll get there in just a little bit, but those are going to be the two passages that we unpack this morning. The other reason that I'm super excited to begin this brand new series that we're starting called The Way this morning is because of something that happened at the very beginning of my ministry career. And what we're going to do for the next three weeks is simply try to take a 50,000-foot view at the person who is Jesus, look at some claims and some things about his life that he makes and that he lives, and then from that, try to unpack how this person, Jesus, and his life is to change our lives and what actions we should change and what in our hearts should change as we gather a more complete understanding of who Jesus is. And so this is almost a back-to-the-basics type series. Let's get back to the core foundational truth that if we don't get this, we're going to be extremely misled and try to unpack the important stuff for the next three weeks. And the reason that I'm passionate about that happened years ago as I was barely starting out in my ministry and as I was a student pastor, one of the unique partnerships that we had was with FCA at a local high school. And so once a month, Cedar Creek, I was at Cedar Creek at the time, we were the only church that was willing to partner with FCA at this school that we were working with. And so what that meant is that once a month on Tuesday morning, I would get up at six o'clock in the morning, head to the high school, serve the kids breakfast that were there, and then get to talk about God's word and then sit and eat breakfast with them. We started in the reverse order. We would give them breakfast and then talk about God's word, but we found they leave. If you do that, you have to put the breakfast on the back end. So it was a bait and switch and we, we ran with it. And so one of those weeks, and I have no idea at all. I wish I could remember. I have no idea at all what I spent my time talking about that morning, but I wrapped up the message and I prayed. And then we started serving breakfast and I sat down with this kid. And I'm just sitting here and, and, I, and I knew his name and I said, hey man, what, what makes you come here? Like, why are you here? Why do you get up an extra hour early? Because it wouldn't have been me in high school. And why do you show up here and you're here almost every single month that we do that. And so I'm, you know, I'm like hoping that there's going to be some spiritual answer to it. Like, man, I just love Jesus, and I love his working in my life, and I love that. And he said, his answer was, it's easier to eat breakfast that y'all make 
than to eat breakfast that I have to make. And I said, okay. And so I asked him the question. I said, well, man, tell me, what do you, how do you feel about Jesus? And I knew this guy, and I knew his family, and he began to kind of talk, and, and my heart began to break. And he said, man, I don't buy it. And I said, what do you mean you don't buy it? Your, your parents are deacons. You're super involved at this church right around the corner from your house. I know that you're there every single week. I see your parents posting about it on Facebook. And I said, what do you not, what, why do you not buy it? What makes you make that statement? And he said, because from the time I was five years old, all, can, all I can remember is people telling me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do, and no one's ever explained to me why. And he said, so I got tired in about the ninth grade of trying to be something I didn't feel like I was with no understanding of why I should be that way in the first place. I mean, what I realized in that moment is the fault of the American, especially the Bible Belt Church, is that we seem to just make these assumptions that people know the groundwork, that people have the foundation laid, because it's hard to grow up here and never be at least at some level impacted or some level involved in a church somewhere. It's hard to live a life and get there, but there's a difference in walking into a church and being involved in the gospel. And so the problem in lies, and what I want us to do for the next three weeks starting today is begin to simply try to answer this question, who is Jesus? And then from that question, try to answer this one, why does it matter? Who is Jesus and then why does it matter? I heard a pastor one time say that the most important question that you will ever answer in your life is the question of what you believe about Jesus. And I thought about that, and maybe, it, maybe it's, it's hitting you right now like it hit me. I was like, oh, that's a lofty claim. Like the most important question in my life. Every January, I got to decide if I'm going to pay taxes or not dance around in that world. All of these questions that I ask, where am I going to school? Who was I going to marry? How many children are we going to have? What are we going to do with our money? And so that question, I was like, man, that's a lofty statement. But then as I've thought about it, since I heard that pastor teach on it that first time, is here's what I realized. What we believe about Jesus informs every single one of those other things that I just asked. And so what we believe about Jesus is the single, or listen to me, or don't believe about Jesus. What we believe or don't believe is the single most formative question that we could ask and answer throughout the entire duration of our life. And so for the next three weeks, we are not going to get an exhaustive look. We're not going to unpack in entirety who Jesus is. That would be impossible in three weeks. In fact, we'll be unpacking that for all of eternity in a place called heaven as we get to worship him. I would invite you. It's going to be awesome. But we are going to, for the next three weeks, simply try to unpack the big view. So Jesus is going to make maybe one of his most famous statements in John chapter 14, verse 6. And it's going to be the framework through which we launch out the next three weeks. And it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you understand what Jesus is saying here, one, that's an incredibly lofty claim. He is saying that he is not a way. He is saying that he is the way. 
that this is a singular statement, that there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. But if you look that text up in the Greek, in the original language that the book of John was written in, the word that, that Jesus uses for way there is the word hodos, which means road. I am the road, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a pastor who's retired now who was a pastor in Minneapolis named John Piper, who I listened to a great deal of time, who makes this argument as kind of his formative statement through which he reads most of the Bible. Every action that humanity commits, we commit believing that it is going to lead to a fuller experience of joy. That everything we do, we do because we're chasing happiness. That we believe it is going to lead to a deeper satisfaction, to a deeper fulfillment, to a deeper sense of joy. So we can walk it out. Here you go. I eat dessert because I believe it's going to make me happy. Some of you crazy people, work out because you believe it's going to make you happy. Some of you, again, crazy people, do puzzles like because you enjoy math. Some of us picked a major in college because we only had to take one math class the entire four years that we were there. Everything that we do, every action that we commit, every step that we take, we do because we believe it is going to lead us into a deeper sense of joy and purpose and fulfillment in life. But another interesting fact to consider as we think about that is that you've never arrived anywhere in your life on accident. You are not where you are out of just a series of just mishaps or complete coincidences. You have made thousands, probably millions of decisions that have led you to be right where you are. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Every decision that we make has consequences, some positive, some negative. Everything that we do has consequences and lands us where we are. The great theologian Dabo Sweeney says, our direction determines our destination. Where we're headed determines where we end up. We've never arrived anywhere on accident. But those two facts, that everything we do, we do in a pursuit of joy, and then the fact that we've never arrived anywhere on accident, begs this question. If humanity is pursuing joy, why are we not marked by it? And everything that we do is in an attempt to experience a more complete joy. If you go home today and turn on, I don't care what news network, CNN, Fox, NBC, whatever you want to watch, do you think you're going to see joy? Do you think that you're going to see hope? Do you think that you're going to see purpose? Do you think that you're going to see fulfillment? If you believe that, it's because you haven't watched the news maybe ever. And so the question is, if everything that humanity does, we do in a pursuit of joy and purpose, why are we not arriving there? Why are our lives not marked by joy and purpose? And then I drive back to Jesus' statement that he is the road 
absolutely to eternal life. The great news of Christianity is that we get an eternal life with Jesus, that we get Jesus. But the even better news of Christianity is that that's an invitation to joy and purpose now. And Jesus says that he is the road to that. The reality is, the reason we don't walk in that is because many of us are walking down the wrong road. That many of the actions that we commit in our life, believing that they are going to bring joy and satisfaction and hope and fulfillment and purpose and direction and all of the things that we believe they're going to bring, are not going to do it. This isn't a unique problem. If you understand the Bible, you know that humanity's been in this situation since Genesis chapter 3. We make it three chapters in the Bible before we screw it up and get ourselves landed where we are now. And so what I want to do this morning is in light of looking at who Jesus is and the claim that he makes to be the way is unpack some of the wrong roads that we find ourselves on. The first one is this, religion. One of the wrong roads that we take in a pursuit of joy and fulfillment and purpose and direction in life is religion. If you understand Jesus' life and you've, and you've studied Jesus' life at all, you will see that a significant portion of Jesus' life is not spent rebuking sinners and people who are struggling and broken and hurting. He absolutely does that and he's absolutely against sin. But if you study Jesus' life, you'll see the majority of it and actually most of his harshest words are reserved for the religious elite. The people who are keeping people from God with a set of rules and standards that they have to follow. But you see, here's the interesting thing about humanity. The solution to lawlessness is never more law. You can't beat people into behaving more who don't understand the reason why they should be behaving. My parents, when I was growing up, would give me rules, and here's the reality if you know me. I don't like rules. I don't exist well in a world where there is rules. But my parents would tell me, Rick, we're giving you this rule because we love you and we want to protect you and we want to keep you safe. And so then I understood the purpose of the law was that it was loving guidance on my life that was meant to keep me safe. But you see the danger, especially of what the Southeastern Bible Belt believing American church has done, is that we have convinced people that you have to believe, look, dress, act, think a certain way to be able to be involved here. That if you don't think this way, you don't vote this way, you don't dress this way, you've ever tasted alcohol in your life, you've ever struggled with some of these big complex issues that we see on the news today that people are debating over, if you've ever struggled with that, this isn't the place for you. And I need to say this, if you're here this morning and you've been led to believe that through the church, I am sorry this is exactly the place for you. Because every person in this room, including the guy with a microphone strapped to the side of his face, is broken and busted and needed Jesus. Listen to me, I am a pastor in South Carolina in a Baptist church who if YouTube did not exist would not know how to tie a tie. I do not know how to do it. 
All right? And if I can be on a stage and preach and teach God's word, then you can interact with God's grace and find meaning and purpose and direction in your life. And the answer for joy and purpose is never going to be a religious system. It's always going to be God's grace. And let me again address those of us in the church because it needs to be said. If we have any part on Facebook, in person, wherever it may be, in leading people to believe that if you feel this way or you support or don't support these things, then you have no place in God's church or God's family, then shame on us. Shame on us when the number one call that we have as the church, as a Bible-believing body of believers, is to open the door for people to have an opportunity to see, experience, live, walk in, and grow through God's grace. Shame on us if we're the ones that close it. For any reason, for some, some stance that we take on religious practices, on people wearing hats in sanctuaries, on things that will not matter, I can promise you that on the judgment day at Jesus, when I stand before Jesus Christ, I do not believe that he is going to look at me and go, well, Rick, you know, in October of 2020, you preached in a t-shirt, and that's not allowed. What I pray I'll stand before him and not hear is that I close the door in people's face by promoting things that don't matter. Religion is never going to be the right road. I want to read another passage of scripture before we continue in the other wrong roads that we may choose where Paul is going to write to the church at Colossae about who Jesus is. In Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, he says this. He is the image, talking about Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, heaven or, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body by flesh and by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The second wrong turn that we're gonna take after we unpack that, and maybe you get the sense of why I told you we're not gonna be able to fully unpack who Jesus is. We could spend a 100 weeks on that passage of scripture alone and all of those incredible attributes. But this second wrong road I wanna unpack is the one that I find myself on the most often. And it's the wrong road of stuff. We look for meaning and purpose and direction in stuff. I'm going to own something about myself. I love shiny and new. But here's the other problem. It actually goes deeper for me. I love shiny, new, and nice. I get in trouble every time about this time of year because Misty will come to me and she'll go, what do you want for Christmas? And I'll start listing stuff off and she'll be like, what do you want for Christmas that is actually feasible for us to afford? I don't know. I have no idea. And I thought about this this week as I realized that so many of us find meaning and purpose and direction in this endless pursuit of the things that we can possess. 
is that how meaningful it seems until you realize just how meaningless it is. And I had this realization this week. I was thinking about the stuff that we possess. And I grew up in a family where uh, we got very few minutes and text messages on a phone. They used to do that. If you don't know that, if you're young in here, some of our center point students are in here, you used to have a limit, like you could only talk for a set amount of time and you could only send so many text messages or they charged you more money and your parents killed you, all right? But you could talk after nine o'clock and that didn't count against your minutes except for our rule was you had to be off the phone by nine o'clock at our house so we were stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, and I thought about that as I was looking at my iPhone and I remembered the rule that we used to have is we would go to Verizon. Uh, at that time it was actually Alltel, which doesn't even exist anymore on Washington Ro or on uh, Whiskey Road. Uh, and we would get, I remember going to get my first phone. We'd walk in there with mom and dad and we'd be like, what phone do you want to get? And smartphones were just starting to come out. And it was just becoming a thing. Blackberry with the little cursor ball. You could roll around like this. People were starting to get that. My friends, I was like, I want the Blackberry. But the rule at our house is you got the 99 cent free upgrade phone every time you got a new phone. All right? And then I thought about that comparatively as I looked at this this week. This is the fifth iPhone that I've owned in my life. And so I went from 99 cent phone. I believe when I bought this phone, it was $999.99. So in less than 20 years, I've jumped from 99 cents to we'll add $999 onto that. But here's the crazy thing about it. This is my fifth one. Do you know where all the other ones are? Neither do I. At best, this $1,000 incredible piece of machinery that's made us all much, so much more efficient and given us all so much more free time because we're all so much better at managing our schedules and our calendars because we have a smartphone, this incredible piece of machinery is at best four years away from a dumpster. And the crazy thing about finding meaning and purpose and direction and stuff is that everything we could ever get in this life is temporary. Jesus is going to say that all of it is created in him, through him, and for him to remind us of him. That every gift that I get in this life is given to me, not so I can celebrate the gift, but so that I can celebrate the God who in his grace allows me to have it. And so stuff is not necessarily evil. Being controlled by your pursuit of stuff is because it's going to result in a life that's mad and a life that looks a lot like a hamster on a wheel. You're never going to get anywhere and you're always going to believe that the next turn is the one that you need to satisfy. And then this next one, and before we put it up on the screen, I'm gonna ask a question. Did you ever do something like in advance of something, you're like, this is a great idea, like a really, really good idea. And then the moment that you've been planning for came up and you're like, this is an awful idea. I can't believe that we would, why would you ever think that this was a good idea? The third wrong road that we choose is the wrong road of politics. Now, I recognize that this hits a little bit differently considering the world that we find ourselves in. And I need to make a few disclaimers before I go down this one. One, I am unbelievably grateful to get to live in the United States of America, and I am unbelievably blessed by God's grace to be here. I am unbelievably grateful to be from a military family and from the military and many of you in the room this morning who have laid down so much for me to be able to experience the freedoms that I walk in. I am unbelievably grateful 
to be in a place like the United States where I have the freedom to do what I'm getting to do right now. But I want us to be very, very, very careful when it comes to politics and when it comes to our American passion that we recognize that American is not a religion. The President of the United States has never nor will he ever be God regardless of who it is. And the Constitution is not the Word of God. And so if you haven't figured out in watching the last couple of weeks and political debates and things going on, that's not the best place in the world for us to place the entire basket of our hopes and dreams and purpose and fulfillment in this life. It's just not. Regardless of how passionate you are about a system or a candidate or a political law or whatever it may be or a political whatever, they're all run by human beings and human beings are going to let you down. And I don't want us every four years or every moment of our life to waste our lives, building our lives around things that in the grand scope of eternity don't matter as much as the weight that we put on them. So please vote, please be educated, please be informed, please do all of those things, but please don't look to Washington, D.C. to bring you salvation and meaning and purpose in life. It's not. Regardless of who sits in the White House on Pennsylvania Avenue, they are going to let you down. Politics will not do it. Now that I'm still alive, we'll go to the last one. And the last one is interesting. We'll just spend a quick second here. The wrong road of self. That believing that I possess inside of me everything that I need to provide meaning and purpose and fulfillment for my life. Barna said that great, Barna did a research study that said right now greater than 60% of people who would call themselves practicing believers in the United States of America believe the idea that everything you need is found inside of you. Believers. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Sometimes the things that go through my mind scare me. There's no way that we are going to be the road that's going to lead to purpose and fulfillment and joy. But we repeatedly try these roads. And the interesting thing is not only does it rob us of the things that we go seeking for, look at what Colossians 1.21 said it does. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of of, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That our decision to be on these wrong roads have not only put us in a spot where we don't find joy and fulfillment, they have alienated us and set us as hostile to God. That we are warring against God, but then the incredible news that Colossians lands us on this morning is that Jesus becomes the way, how? By conquering death, how? By picking up a cross and allowing people with nowhere near the amount of power that he has to nail him to that cross so that he might experience the penalty for our sin, which is death, that he might conquer that death and in conquering that death, extend you life. 
And that's the good news of the gospel that this morning goes out into a society that is debt-ridden, that is hopeless, that is convinced that November is going to settle everything that's wrong with everything around it, that that is the message that has to go out, that we have to carry, that we have to believe, that we have to walk in, that you need to accept this morning as going to be the only reason that you find purpose, joy, and fulfillment in this life. We listed four wrong roads this morning. We could spend the next million years listing all of them. But Jesus' offer this morning is that he was before all things, he will be after all things, and that everything that we get to experience in this life, we get to experience to remind ourselves of who he is, that we might see his grace displayed on a cross, that we might find hope and meaning and purpose in that message. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, this morning, God, I just thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to open your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to just sit and reflect on who you are. So God, my prayer this morning is for those of us in this room who are tired, who are anxious, who are desperate, who are broken, who are hurting, God, who came in here just as a last-ditch effort to find something. My prayer this morning is for that person to see your glorious display of grace on the cross. And that that cross gives them an invitation to eternity with you, God, but that cross gives them an invitation to lay down all of the things that they would chase other than that. And in laying all of those things down to find purpose and meaning and direction right now. God, that all of us are pursuing at some level joy and fulfillment. God, my prayer is that we would find it in you. God, my prayer is also for those of us in this room who know that truth. Who walk in that truth. Who live that truth. God, but we've drifted in the hopelessness of the world around us. We've lost it in political debate and Facebook arguments and whatever else it may be. This morning, God, may we stick a flag in the ground that says, I will sell myself for nothing short of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and I will abandon every part of my life for that and for that alone. And in that, God, May you make us a church and a group of people who runs to a hopeless world with an unshakable, unwaverable hope that draws people in, not to this church, but into your kingdom. We love you, King Jesus. We worship you only because of your grace.